I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Sean Connery wearing a red diaper. A floating stone head giving a sermon about how the penis is evil. Just so many boobs for no plot purpose. All these moments we lost like tears and rain. Okay, time to die. Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 1974's Zardoz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Sophia. <laughs> On my revenge arc. Exactly. <laughs> this is for Down and Derby, motherfucker. Though, <laughs> 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 so, what I will say is, I've seen the movie Rubber, so like <laughs> you can't. So hurt like me. It's very hard to fuck with me <laughs> in terms of a movie. Fair enough. Oh, I think we listed that in our anniversary episode as one we'll never cover. Yep, yep. So, what's to say about this movie before we get into it? I have one thing. Okay. The name, the name Zardoz. Whatever you think that name means, you're wrong. It's dumber. So my initial thought was technically correct, <laughs> which my initial thought was that's the name of the stone head that like people know from this movie. Technically correct. <laughs> technically correct, but incomplete. Yes. Whew. I was talking with someone about this a little bit and of course they hadn't seen it, but they're like, oh, that gets referenced in like a lot of things, surprisingly. Because it is such a batshit movie. That's fair. Oh yeah. Okay. So- not typically my habit, but let's put some content warnings up front. Sexual assault. There is a lot of it in this movie. This was 1974 and Sean Connery. So not great in terms of consent. Sexual assault actually plays. Uh, there is a plot point about it and it's bad. General misogyny. Like this is an extremely misogynistic movie. Like even by the standards of the time. This was weird for that reason. Ah, oh, what else? Oh, yeah melancholia generally if you're prone to getting bummed i'm going to talk about some serious bummer shit in the analysis so feel free to skip that yeah apart from that there's like so few verbs to this movie i know i know it's wild can you think of any adjectives <laughs> i was about to say one but it is in fact the opposite it is, this is not ooh sorry this is a horny movie which is what I was initially going to say. But as a plot point, the people in it are not horny until they are. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is extremely relevant. Let's say we just dive into it. Yeah, let's go. Start with a black void. Yes. Okay. So the first thing we get, hey, I remember when I learned about the pan and scan technique. <laughs> <laughs> we get a disembodied head who spoils the entire fucking movie for us. Yes and no. <laughs> because in the same way that, like, in Shakespeare, especially Romeo and Juliet being the famous example, they tell you what happens, it's like, okay, but how the fuck do we get there? Right, yeah. I need to take a quick divergence for 
minute because sure. that reminds me of another old movie, Soylent Green. You know sure. the famous ending of Soylent Green, right? Yeah. Soylent Green is people. Yeah. I was so curious. I'm like, what the fuck happens in this movie that even leads up to that? I looked this up. It's like a murder mystery. Not a murder mystery because that has like certain connotations. But it's like a detective story. They're trying to figure out why this murder happened. And somehow it leads him to this Soylent factory. So in perhaps a sign of the times, Soylent is being sold at my local CVS. Yeah. That's a legit brand now. Yeah. Somebody didn't watch the movie. <laughs> no, I think they did. They watched Soylent Green and said, you know what we should do is leverage this IP. <sighs> I call this the Marvel brain phenomenon. Yeah. Oh, have you seen the tweet that's like, this brilliant Silicon Valley inventor created the Torment Nexus from the famous sci-fi classic Don't Create the Torment Nexus. <laughs> <sighs> Maybe we should review that one, too. Fuck. We are <laughs> far afield of Zardoz. But are we? <laughs> no. So here we are introduced to Arthur Frayne, who just straight up tells you he is Zardoz. And he does this in... Alright, I'm, I'm going to give you the affect. I am Arthur Frayne. And I am Zardoz. I am 200 years old, and I long to die. But death is no longer possible. I am immortal. I am a master manipulator by trade, and a magician by hobby, or something. It's I'm a fake god by occupation, and a magician by inclination. That's Merlin is my hero. Oh, fuck off. I already hate this guy. <laughs> really? He's like my second favorite character. I mean, they all suck, though. All the characters in this movie suck ass. So, yeah, he is, but I also hate him. He frames this as a story that is being told, that it's fictional, but it could come to pass. And they super do not follow up on the idea that this is a story. They do kind of follow. Okay, you have to pay really laser-focused attention to put together what has happened to lead up to the events of this movie. But if you do, You'll notice some things that are maybe more relevant than 1974 new. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he does this introduction and ends with this bizarre line about is God in show business too. <laughs> and then his head sinks off the camera. Who edited this? Fact is, I actually looked it up. Or rather, one of my companions, Eileen looked it up while we were watching this movie. And it turns out the guy had been away from editing for like 10 years. This was his first gig back. And oh boy, does it show. <laughs> so now we see sparse grassland. What even is this environment called? Moors. Oh, this yeah, is yeah, Moorland. Yeah. yeah. Now, just in terms of the physical quality of the film, it reminded me a lot of Rocky Horror and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes. Which, like, isn't really saying anything. It's like, oh, this, the material used to film this movie was the same used in this other movie. It's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. But I mean, they're roughly contemporary to each other, and the film stock is aged about the same. So, out of the. Okay, this was filmed in Ireland, and Ireland has a pretty similar climate overall to the UK being basically right next door and partially UK. 
which I know that's a spicy statement to make. But out of the gray clouds hanging low over the moorlands, a big stone head emerges. This is the Zardoz head that everyone is familiar with. And it comes to rest on the ground, on the moors, in front of a throng of gathering people. Just a bunch of dudes riding horses and wearing masks. In diapers. And bandoliers, but also diapers. And lots of guns. Lots of guns. So, in the intro, I reference something extremely bonkers. Here's where that comes in. We are literally, not figuratively, literally, three minutes into this movie, and we get... Zardoz speaks. The gun is good. The penis is evil. <laughs> Just... What? What the fuck? I feel like... I feel like my face is melting. Someone forgot to close their eyes while the Ark of the Covenant was open. Yes! This is what it feels like to stare into the Ark of the Covenant. So the upshot is we're doing a Malthusianism here. Basically, there are not enough resources to provide for everybody. So you have to kill a whole bunch of people in order to make sure that what we have can go around. So Stop making new people. It's not making new people. The penis shoots seas that curse the earth with a plague of men. The gun shoots fire and exterminates life. So the gun is good and the penis is evil. What? (laughs) Give me an E. (laughs) Give me a C. Uh, That's way too long to do over a thing. Ecofascism. Let's do an ecofascism. We're doing an ecofascism, baby. So yeah, then after that, we jump cut to a pile of wheat berries and out of it, Pops Sean Connery. No, I'm sorry. No, we don't. No, we don't. The head pukes out a whole bunch of guns and bullets, which, by the way, if you look closely, you can see some of the tech crew's hands and and faces throwing the guns and bullets out. It's fucking fantastic. This movie sucks so bad. (laughs) And then we see Sean Connery pick up a Webley revolver, which is a weapon that you have to cock. It's very strange. And then fires it at screen. And in my head, every time I see this, I can't help but hear the James Bond theme. That is actually my favorite character, is Sean Connery's gun. Zed? No, no, no. I don't care about Zed. It's Zed's gun is my favorite character. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. Zed's dead. Okay, so. Hey, real quick, pulled this up on IMDb because something you said made me think of this. Do you want to know what IMDb has the estimated budget at? Oh, I know this one, actually. So it's not really fair to ask me. Okay. $1.4 million. Yeah. Where did it go? Actually, I kept reading the IMDb, so I know exactly where it went. One-fifth of it, fully one-fifth of it, went to Sean Connery's salary. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, there's a reason for that. Also, do you want to know what... IMDb lists as its worldwide gross. It actually made money. I don't remember how much, but it like it cleared it. Oh, what this says is $6,000. <laughs> what? That's what this says. Like that's what IMDb says. Is it says $6,000. It's like what the fuck? That's amazing because I read somewhere that it made 1.8. Oh, okay. So, but you said we have a cut. Yes. So here we have a jump cut to a big stack of wheat berries, which is the form that wheat comes in when you harvest it before you grind it into flour. 
and out pops Sean Connery gun first. Bam, 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 bam. So, yeah, so he wonders the head. He's inside the head, and the head is flying around. And by the way, there's some funky shit happening with this head. Okay, we are nine minutes into the movie now, and we see our first boobies. This will be a running theme. Don't you worry. There's so many boobies in this movie. If you're a fan of boobs, which I am, and especially if you're a fan of smaller boobs, this movie is probably going to keep your attention. So, yeah, so this head has a lot of produce in it and also several plastic-wrapped bodies. Do we ever find out what the fuck those are? Yes, so this is something that you have to pay real close attention to and also turn on the subtitles for. So what those are is those are immortals who like their bodies had gotten injured in the outlands and had to be brought back to the tabernacle to be repaired. Got it. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of wordless searching around the head. And then we see another person who Sean Connery immediately shoots. Just mercs him. No questions asked. And it turns out to be, I am Arthur Frayne and I am Zardoz. Okay, so he's shot in the arm, which... Not fatal immediately. Not immediately fatal, but he's playing like it's a fatal wound. And I'm just like, what are you doing, man? And then he just jumps out of the head. (laughs) (laughs) What? It's the goofiest fucking, like, falling slash flying thing I've ever seen. No, it's the second goofiest. The goofiest is when they review the footage later in the head. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) Okay, so... This movie is so fucking stupid. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So the head comes to rest at a house next to a pretty lake. This is something that I only noticed on my like fifth time seeing this movie. It's like a little simple village. Yeah. And inside is like a house. Just uh, a house. Yeah. So it's a bakery on the ground floor and then somebody lives upstairs. This is the creepiest apartment that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, a serial killer lives in this apartment. So, there is an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where they get a hotel room that is chock-a-block full of dolls, and that was definitely creepier. Okay, fair enough, but that's a hotel room. Okay, okay. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, it was a bed and breakfast, like, upstate or something. Yeah, so, this is creepier because there are no dolls, but there are jack-in-the-box there's a jack-in-the-box there's also eyes drawn on the walls there's also a mask right a bunch of masks a bunch of skulls and also an evolutionary chart of humans starting from australopithecus up to h sapiens that's us and then the next form which is labeled eternals they look exactly like h sapiens their skull is exactly the same as h sapiens but supposedly the next evolution of humanity No, it's not, for reasons that I will get into. He also discovers this ring, and this ring will be very important. Yeah, this ring is the biggest asshole in the movie. (laughs) So, (laughs) Alexa, Alexa, tell me shit. Yeah, this is basically an Alexa in a ostentatious crystal ring. How many years until one of the big tech companies is like, hey, our new AI assistant is in this gaudy ass ring that probably will weigh down your hand like a motherfucker. It's called Tabernacle. 
<laughs> I'd go insane. I would. Yeah, I would. I would become the Joker for sure. <laughs> right. So it starts spouting off a bunch of information about vortexes. Yes. And so what we gather is that there are multiple vortexes and that there's trade in between these vortexes. So you're like, okay, is that an establishment? And then one, two, skip a few. Sean Connery asks the ring who this house belongs to. And it displays Arthur Frayne repeating the phrase, I am Arthur Frayne, Vortex 4. So like, yes, vortexes are the communities in which these vortices are the communities in which these assholes live. I like the part where he like he says bread, meat, and then tries to grab it, even though it's a oh yeah yeah okay so so he he does he goes like food and it displays a picture of bread and he sees it and he's like meat and it shows a big raw lamb chop and he's like I'm gonna grab that oh it's not real fuck whose house is this for some reason it shows like Arthur Frayne's eye just his eye just like zoomed way out what's a metaphor anyway. <laughs> This is the point that if you're paying close attention, you have the subtitles on, you'll see a bunch of these Eternals walking by, chattering amongst themselves about how the bodies in the stone head have to be offloaded and taken to the tabernacle to be repaired, and like how they're really mangled. And then you see them actually like carrying stretchers down into this mirrored pyramid thing that's just kind of stuck on the lawn. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. We see kind of just people vibing in nature. It's a lot of Sean Connery walking around. The first scene that we get that shows that something is amiss in an extremely technologically advanced way is when he's walking through the greenhouse and he pokes at one of the hydroponic pods with his gun and it moans at him. Didn't realize that. Yeah. Like the first one just sighs. is like, ah. And the second one is like, ah. I'm just like, ugh. Death. Yeah, yes. No wonder the immortals want to die. <laughs> he ends up getting discovered as he's walking. I think this is next to the lake. And he pulls up his gun and the person just like kind of looks at him and apparently has psychic powers. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Okay. I have to backtrack because baffling shot first off. But we also see some dudes stuck up a tree just vibing. Yes, that's the vibing in nature that I was talking about. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so this is interspersed with this movie fucking loves dissolves. (laughs) (laughs) The dissolve is their favorite transition, and they use it so poorly. But in this case, we dissolve to a topless woman riding a horse, and then back. And then the topless woman is just like, there. I understand what this is meant to communicate, but it doesn't. (laughs) So yeah, we see that. And she fucks off. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Then he goes to the lake, takes a sip of water, and then we meet the first person that talks to Zed. We don't know that his name is Zed yet. That's okay. It's better than just calling him Sean Connery this whole movie. Yeah. So this is May. We learn that these people are psychic from May because Zed points his gun at her and she just like widens her eyes a little bit. And like there's this, it sounds like, a weird scream thing, and then he drops his gun. Sean Connery looks so stunned, as if you told him that women are, in fact, people. <laughs> I knew that would get Sophia. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so she has no chill at all, but in a very calm way. And it's here we learn 
that there's some mythology around Zardoz and vortexes, vortices. I'm I'm not gonna call them vortexes. That's stupid. Yeah. So turns out that the people like Zed believe that if you obey Zardoz, which means to kill basically everybody you come across, that you will go to a vortex when you die, and there you will live happily forever. Which is a thing that May needs to confirm with him. One, two, skip a few. I don't know. They're elsewhere and looking through Zed's memories. Yes. And here we are introduced to Consuela. Consuela is disturbed by Zed's presence, which is honestly fair. They are a peaceful, intentional community. And Zed is a state exterminator. Like he he kills. That's his entire thing. I need to pause for one moment because... The way that they are looking at his memories, they're in some structure, crystalline, I don't know, Not that part's not important. However, Zed is on, like, a table, on his back, hands behind his head, as if he is ready for some action, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Want me to get weirder with it? Let's get weirder with it. His head is hanging off the back of the table as if he's ready for some action. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so he looks like he's ready to both give and receive a massive beach. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's what we see from the memories. Zed kills a lot of people and then also rapes someone. Yes. So, Consuela and May are not particularly concerned with the killing. Consuela finds it distasteful, but May points out that all the outlands have to be controlled. And we hear something about forced farming and May calling Consuela a hypocrite. And it's a very boring conversation that doesn't really build to anything. Mm -hmm. But what we sort of establish is that these two have a rapport that kind of mirrors Freudian construction of the psyche. So this is your id and superego. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought of May as the id necessarily, but... I think she's more of the superego. She's the intelligent like the thoughtful one whereas consuela is intuitional and impulsive okay okay i can see that then yeah so there you go and you the audience get dragged into the psychosexual drama as the ego other things we learned zardoz made them the outlanders that they call the brutals Mm -hmm. he made them be farmers yep and also they can rebuild arthur despite him having died Yes. This is also the scene that I was talking about where we get to see the silliest falling scene. So these people are all connected to each other through this tabernacle thing. So it plays back the last moments of Arthur Frayne's memory so that they could see what happened to him. And he looks annoyed by the fact that he's falling to his death, which I guess ends up accidentally being good character work. But if you're coming to this movie for the first time, It doesn't make any sense. It's very silly. Right. We then get May and Consuela arguing over what to fucking do. So they said, well, we're a community. Let's bring it to the community. Consuela views this as a victory because she believes the community will trust her intuition on this and want to destroy said. However, they're all fucking bored all the time. So anything different is like, thank goodness, something, anything to relieve the boredom. So these are hippies. 
And if you were following, okay, so none of you will have followed my live tooting of this because, god damn it, I'm on Mastodon. <laughs> and I've been suspended from Twitter for a week for calling Ben Shapiro a sack of pig shit. Oh. I'm not sorry. No, nor should you be. So I wasn't able to live tweet this movie as I normally do. That said, every group of hippies has the cynical hippie, and on no account should you ever trust the cynical hippie. And this group's cynical hippie is a guy whose name is Friend. Hate that. Yeah, just terrible. If you need a mental image, think Eric Idle from Monty Python, but gayer. (laughs) I was going to go with off-brand Paul McCartney. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Find a random British man. (laughs) Probably pretty close. Yeah. He's blonde, so like, that's a little different. But he's he's got to have a posher accent. It can't be some like East Ender Cockney guy. Like, it's got to sound like he went to a private school. He also sound upper class. Except even that's not quite right. No. It's not posh. It's something else. Those are not Liverpool. No, it's not Liverpool. It's not Manchester either. Oh, perhaps Bristol. Stephen Merchant is from Bristol. Maybe, yeah. That that sounds pretty close. Right, so, here we are. <laughs> you, you, went, you went Richard Iowade at the end there. Huh. As if I would never go Richard Iowade. I love him, he's great. Yeah, amazing. Can you tell we don't really want to talk about this movie? <laughs> this movie fucking blows. <laughs> right, so... Everybody is kind of intrigued by what's happening in the Outlands because they've aggressively ignored it for centuries. And Friend points out that no one else wanted to control the Outlands. Arthur, he's an artist. He does it with imagination. And he also says, let's keep it. They refer to Zed as it throughout this movie. Also, the monster. And I was like, okay, that's a little odd. Well, we've talked before about how monsters are mirrors into our own society. And this is explicitly stated later in the movie. Like, they have a term for these people. The Outworlders, Brutals, but it's like, okay, fuck all that. We're going to call him the monster. Well, technically, the Brutals are the people who are, like, not exterminators who live outside. Exterminators are a different class. Absolutely fucks me up because largely when we see them, they are truly just some guy. Just a whole swath of just some guys. I mean, a little bit dirtier, but yeah. Clearly, just some guy has been living rough for a few years, but yeah. And that makes them brutal, and it's like, chill. Yeah, yeah. You you gotta calm down. <laughs> so, they decide to allow May to do a full scientific study of Zed for the protection of the community. And this is allowed to go on for three weeks. But also, Friend is gonna look after him, like, day to day? Yeah, so... The thing is that it is a, a completely homeostatic community. Like, everything is taken care of. So the introduction of a new mouth to feed requires some level of, like, reciprocity. So he has to do some menial labor around the place. And friend is like, I've got labor to do. I'm the archivist here. So, like, I've got all the shit just hanging around. Fuck, I'm not going to move it. Yeah, who, who the fuck knows what friend actually does because we're at the next day there's something about psychic power they these people have psychic powers sure yeah 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 so it's revealed that friend and arthur frayne are close friends and they're kind of like in each other's confidence about what's going on in the outlands and so 
everyone thinks that Zed killed Arthur Frayne, which is reasonable, honestly. But they're also doing an investigation into that on top of the study. So Friends uses a bullwhip on him in an attempt to get him to talk. And Zed's like, nope. And so he immediately switches gears and is like, don't be sullen. I'm going to look after you. Oh, like you just did with the bullwhip? Fuck off, man. So, so friend has anger issues. We go from there into like this storehouse doing God knows what this storehouse is actually holding. So this is a repository of like a lot of historical artifacts. And that is why I think that friend's job is as the archivist of Vortex 4. That does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So he's also assigned the computer to compile a progression of images of like the development of the automobile is the project that he's working on at the time. And the computer gets it wrong and he yells at the computer. Kyle, I feel like you, you probably have something to say about this being a data analyst. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. This is more of a code side than data analysis, but computers do exactly what you tell them. Garbage in, garbage out, baby. <laughs> yeah. It's just that we're very bad about telling computers what we want. Yes. Computers work immaculately, except when they fucking don't. (laughs) But Zed's just carrying shit around while Arthur's, like, dictating to the computer. Fucking up priceless works of art. The gist here, though, is we find out that the Eternals, as we'll eventually find out they're called, I don't know how often it comes up, are, like, the keepers of humanity's knowledge. Yeah, so... It's pretty clear that we're post-apocalypse here, and it's never explicitly stated what happened to the world. It does say that we are in the year 2293, at the very beginning. Yes, that's that's correct. Okay. So, yeah, we are a couple hundred years in the future, give or take. Fun fact, this was supposed to be set in the year 1993. Fuck. Yeah. And then they were like, nah, 93 is shaping up to be a fine time, which, okay, cool your jets. But I had a great time in 93. You were a sperm. Correct. I didn't have to deal with any of this bullshit. (laughs) I got to pay rent, baby. Yeah. The next couple points I have. Zed and May go into a crystal pyramid of sorts while everyone else has lunch. Yes. Okay. Oh, my God. (laughs) This was the point where I tooted. (laughs) Sean Connery, stuntman of the year. (laughs) Incredible. Just, I can't even describe it. You just, you gotta put your hands in the air. It's more fun that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, what would you call it? Maybe two foot high pyramid. Yeah. Maybe it's three feet, but. That he gets just extruded into the basement of, I guess. Yeah. May is running a bunch of tests on him and then gets interrupted because <laughs> there was a man on trial in the vortex for having rancid vibes, basically. <laughs> to be slightly more specific, it's like he was putting out negative psychic energy into the community. Okay, to be fair, though, this requires a little bit of explanation of the dynamics of the society that are hinted at, but not fully explained later in the movie. So to get out in front of this, Eternals don't sleep. They do something called second level meditation, where they become one mind with the entire community, and they use that time to rest. So putting out rancid, one dude putting out rancid vibes into the hive mind, 
is actually a community offense in that way. But it's very funny because he's on trial for having rancid vibes. <laughs> the vibes are fucked. Disgusting. <laughs> Sorry, I said they were going to lunch. That actually happens later. But there's just people gathering. Yeah, yeah. But before that, we join back with Friend and Zed going around. And we see some people making what appears to be green holla. Yeah, okay. All right. So very briefly, when Zed got out of the head and came into the downstairs of Arthur Friend's apartment, we see him, like, experimenting with this fucked holla. Like, this is bad holla because, like, it's rock hard. It's basically French loaf. It's also green. And if you look carefully in the scene that we're talking about now, you can see the dye on the table. <laughs> this movie cost $1.5 million. <laughs> 200000 of which went to Sean Connery. <laughs> Fucking stupid. And then as they're leaving, because apparently one of Friend's jobs is to distribute bread to mm-hmm. other communities that we're about to talk about, we see two people just like kind of, it feels like they're doing Phoebe from Friends. Kind of. It's such a weird physicality. This is every pair of white dudes about to have a drunken fight outside a bar. Yeah. This is basically the chest bumping pre-fight stuff, except that's all it is. Psychic battle. Yeah. And so Friend and Zed have a conversation about this, and he's like, will he be punished for that? Of course. And it turns out that the way that Eternals, because they don't ever die, are punished is to age them. Zed also asks, like, how do you handle this? Because you don't have a police force or anything of that nature. And Friend says, we discuss it endlessly. I'm like, that's torture. Just kill me, please. (laughs) So it's at this point that we learn that Mr. John Borman is not a fan of anarchism. (laughs) John Borman of Deliverance fame, like he made Deliverance two years before this movie. Also, fun fact, Sean Connery was supposed to be Burt Reynolds. Like Sean Connery I didn't read was the, that, actually. Yeah. yeah, Sean Connery was the third person they picked for this role. So, yeah, presumably they had to back up, you know, like a sixth of the budget to convince him to do it. So, you don't die, but you get made old. Yeah. And you can kill yourself, but the tabernacle will rebuild you, presumably at the age at which you killed yourself. Yep. So, if you are bad enough or often enough, you become a renegade and these are people who are condemned to a life of senility they're malicious and vicious so in and out fast and so they chuck some bread at him and it's a parade of old people not very threatening i gotta be honest with you no but the numbers you see in numbers we are strong nope still brittle old people i could still break your hip but then they go to the next community which is full of the apathetics This is a disease that is slowly spreading through the vortex. It basically causes lethargy and essentially it makes you catatonic. And if you're unfamiliar with catatonic behavior, it's just like you zone out and you're just completely not present. Supposedly, that's also what happens to heroin addicts. Yeah, yeah. So if you're thinking that maybe this is a right-wing hit piece against hippies, you would be correct. (laughs) But yeah. The reason that they force the Outlands to farm wheat instead of just killing them all is because they could no longer grow enough wheat in the vortices to feed the apathetics as their numbers grow, as the disease spreads. So they just stand around all day and like 
they'll make small motions. Like if you hand them bread, they'll like kind of like cup it, but like they're not going to do anything else. So at this point, they circle up inside a barn full of apathetics and they like pass out some bread. This is where we see the conclusion of the trial of George Satan, the guy with the rancid vibes. Final statement. He confesses, but says it's not his fault because the bad thoughts were leaking out because of a head wound. From his third death. And then he just stops and is like, you know what? No, no, that's bullshit. I hate you all. I hate me. Everything fucking sucks. And friend is just like, hell yeah, dude. Absolute acquittal. (laughs) I love that. I really do. (laughs) I'm on the fucked vibes train. This is why you do not trust the new guy with the cynical hippie. You got to give them to to the true believer. Nah, it's more fun this way. I suppose. Also, though, Zed then, like, grabs a woman, throws her in the hay, but then stops very quickly when she is, like, just completely non-responsive, which is gross. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. This is absolutely an R-word incident. And so, friend just like, go for it. Who cares? They're apathetic. Connery freaks out like a caged animal. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, like, he gets a view of his future. Because, remember, he thinks he's going to one of these places when he dies. Oh, that's right. And he also does know that he's going to be killed. Yeah, he also knows that they're going to fucking kill him. So, friend makes the ominous phrase, renegade or apathetic. Welcome to paradise. Fuck. Fuck! (laughs) So I posit that if you are a 70s era toxic masculine stereotype, yeah, this freakout is more understandable in that milieu. We then go back to our communal center where we are doing more science exploration. And we find out that the Eternals are not horny anymore. (laughs) There's no sex in the vortex. Consuelo makes an excellent point that, like, sexuality probably declined because we no longer needed to reproduce. There's no death in this community. There's no need to replace anybody. It's insane. It's an insane thing to posit as an evolutionary step, especially after 200 fucking years. It's insane, but that's the explanation given, and sure. We also get some short clips of them just trying to give Zed a boner, pretty much. Yeah, so so they're fascinated by erections. And, okay, here's where a theme of the movie is basically just told to us. The connection between sex and violence. So in addition to being a right-wing scrub lord's fucking critique of hippie culture, it's also a critique of feminism. Because if you're a right-wing scrub lord in the 70s, you probably think that feminism would draw the connection between sex and violence like there's no sex in feminism. Get fucked. Get fucked. No, those women were just really good friends. I mean, the lesbian ones, yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Anyway. Zed has the most bored fucking look on his face, and it just kills me knowing that this is Sean Connery seeing a naked woman is like, yeah, fucking whatever. (laughs) To be fair, it is very boring porn. It's not porn, it's just nude women. Yeah, one in a shower, massaging her boobies, and then the other clip is two women mud wrestling naked. Yeah, but also so covered in mud that you don't really see really any defining features. That's true. still porn. It's not good porn. 
and it doesn't work for him. Yeah, clip ends, and then there's like a like a sine wave going on the screen still. Yeah, it's weird. Not sure what that's about. But as it turns out, Zed does pop a boner for Consuela, which the entire vortex thinks is hilarious, except for Consuela, who is of course really weirded out by it for now. More science tests. May discovers that, in her opinion, they don't elaborate this too much, but Zed is physically and mentally superior than the Eternals. Hey, don't tell that to the professional killer. If you're afraid of the professional killer, don't tell them that they're mentally and physically superior to you. This seems pretty obvious. Feels reasonable. And she is immediately threatened and is like, okay, we're going to destroy you. Which again, don't tell him. Yeah. But then she's like, okay, I'm not going to tell the rest of the group this, but you need to be cool for just a little while longer until we can figure this out. So then we cut to lunch. Yeah. Lunch is weird. Yep. It's friend's turn to make lunch, but he uses Zed's help. And this is something that Consuela objects to. Everybody's supposed to do the thing without help, as is their job. And he makes an interesting point. He's like, hey, look, we have eternal life. And yet we subject ourselves to all of this drudgery. I tell you, I'm positively sick of 200 years of washing up. And he throws a fork across the table. I'm like, that's, that's, that's fair. I would get annoyed by that. But work still has to be done. So who are you that other people have to do work, but you don't? Build a fucking robot. I don't exactly. care. <laughs> yes. Also, I object to Consuela saying everyone has to be able to do everything. It's like, you're in a fucking community. I mean, like, the idea is that you help each other by taking turns, but also, like, help each other. God damn. Yeah. So, big surprise, right-wing scrub lord does not understand how communes work. And my friend has broken some community rules. They are meditating, and he's like, I'm not participating, which I don't understand what's happening there, but fine. Sure, whatever. He's asserting his individuality. <laughs> Again, this is a right-wing scrub lord taking a swipe at communism, at intentional communities, at hippies. So, of course, the noble, upright thing to do would be to assert your individuality at the most inappropriate time, inconveniencing everybody. And so they cast him out. Yes, he is going to be aged 50 years and designated renegade. Yes. I also have to point this out. During this extended sequence of them going at him by doing spirit fingers, he does at some point say, I hate all women. Birth, fertility, superstition. One of these things is not like the others. (sighs) Yeah. But just in isolation, having a character in your movie say, I hate all women, seemingly apropos of nothing, is bonkers. (laughs) Okay. This is framed as a very harsh punishment. Oh, by the way, friend full-on has a stroke. Yes. Clearly, the actor looked up what does a stroke look like before coming to work because, like, he fully has a stroke and everybody's just spirit fingersing at him until he just, like, flops onto the table. And, by the way, when he's aged, only half of his face is aged. Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, weird. He loses, like, you can see you can see him start to lose it a little bit. And then, like, when we see him at the Renegade establishment, half of his face is aged. The rest of it is fine. Very unsettling. Now, this is framed as an extremely harsh punishment. However, 
let me just posit that in an intentional community, if you have somebody who no longer wishes to abide by the community's shared values and understandings, it is good for neither party for them to continue to be part of the community. So casting them out into a place where they can be themselves is both the humane and just thing to do. So fuck you, John Borman. Understandably, Zed wants to leave this fucking place, but there is an invisible barrier. Yes. Part of me thought they were going to do like a extremely low budget of like <laughs> Sean Connery miming, but we do see him like push up against something. Yeah, like his face does smoosh against it. And I, I was hoping to see a, a face print on there that would like, if this were a different movie, there would be a face print. And you'd be like, this is how I know where the wall is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, after that, he goes to the renegade colony and finds friend who, again, is only aged on one side of his face. And he jumps immediately to, this is your fault. Like, fuck you. You did that. You did that, sir. Friend rallies the renegades to try and kill Zed. He's like, hey, this one's mortal. He knows the ways of death. And he can die himself. I say we give him back to death. Sweet death. Glorious death. I was like, man. Why do you remember so many lines from this movie? <laughs> because I have a diseased brain. Cool. I can remember shit, but only if it absolutely does not fucking matter. Cool. I can remember shit if it's funny. Anyway, <laughs> friend also implies that May wants Zed to father the next generation of immortals. This movie is so relentlessly horny. Yeah. We also learn a little bit more about the tabernacle. I think this is where we learn the name. Yeah. And also learn that it's the AI that we've been knowing about, and it prevents death. Yes. We don't learn the whole thing, but only that it keeps them alive, it prevents them from dying permanently, and it was kind of a thing that was put together in order to preserve human society in the face of an inevitable collapse, or incipient collapse, I guess. Zed returns to the main commune and is looking for answers and runs into May. And May will give him answers, but in return, he has to let her see his memories. Yes, and it is implied that this will hurt, and Zed's like, cool. So she wants to know how he got into the vortex because it's supposed to be impossible. The head is the only way in and out of the vortex, except for the one that she takes at the end of the movie. We see more of... Zed just kill him, but also we found out that he lost his innocence. And I put that in quotes because what he claims loses his innocence is that he finds a library and reads a bunch. Okay, so here's where you gotta pay real close attention in this series of flashbacks. Pay attention to the signage on the buildings because you'll see Contamination Control Center. And then when he goes inside, the library is upstairs. On the ground floor, you see Pollution Control Center. And then in the stairwell, you see two posters. One says, Protect Our Soil. And the second one says, To Not Be Born is Best. So, like, put those four pieces into, like, a timeline, and you can see how this societal collapse sort of happened. It was pollution. There was a contagion that destroyed the fertility of the soil. And then society collapsed. Like, people gave up. So... That's the thing. We learn that Zed became very angry with Zardoz. 
because Zardoz initially had the Brutals, and in particular the Exterminators, just be hunters. Yeah, they eat meat. Yeah, just eat meat. And the Exterminators will kill for population control, which is fucked up, but that's yeah. what they do. That's the status quo. Yeah. And Zed found it comfortable. Yeah. And then Zardoz is like, hey, actually, y'all need to be farmers now. And this was chafing for a lot of the Exterminators. I mean, they still got to kill people. Basically, anybody who fell behind it. Baton Death March Farming Edition, essentially. You fall behind, they'll just shoot you. So, yeah, so Zed learns how to read from this figure that kind of like lures him into the library and then shows him a book with the alphabet, and it came naturally to me. And so he reads the entire library because he's a big brain. He's a, he's a mutant. So he learns to read, reads the entire library, and gets very, very, very angry at one specific book. And May says, show me the book. And Zed's like, absolutely not. And just has a full on freak out. More so in his memories than in reality, but he does still freak out. They go back and forth on that for like eh, three minutes. Yeah. It's which is a lot in movie time. <laughs> so much movie on this thing. But basically, we learn that Zed is seeking revenge for a betrayal. He's been tricked by Zardoz, because as we learn, Zardoz is the Wizard of Oz. It's the Wizard of Oz. And he puts together that he's been had by just a dude, and is very furious about it, and wants to kill that dude. So on the one hand, Arthur, come on, man. That's extremely on the nose. Yeah. But on the other, one, this was a written script, which means someone thought themselves very clever, and two... I've been a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons. Sometimes you just have trouble coming up with names, and sometimes you pull from bullshit that you know. <laughs> I'm playing in a Waterdeep campaign directly after this. We just finished with a bit at a circus, a traveling circus, whose circus master was called Zardoz something or other. And I was You're just like, fucking with me. Nope, not even a little bit. So before we even selected this movie, because we had to record a day later last time. So I did the session and I said the name of the thing. And I was like, oh, God, that would be funny if that was the next movie. And then sure enough, it was the next fucking movie. Yeah. Fucking hell. This reminds me of a criticism I've seen of like conspiracy theorists. It's like, oh, yeah, I control the fucking world. But let's put in little hints on the money so that if you really pay attention, you can figure it out. And it's like, it's so stupid that... You'd think someone would do that. Like, yes. Why, if you control everything, would you leave breadcrumbs for people to maybe discover you? I guess boredom, but... Well, Zardoz has an answer for that question. Yes. <laughs> He's the master manipulator. Yes. He is the puppet master. And the reason that these breadcrumbs have been left and this manipulation has occurred has already been hinted at. Right. And in fact, just straight up said. And they way. These memories wrap up and we see them under this. What kind of material is it? This is a shawl. Uh, not a shawl. Like a, it's like a chiffon. It's very thin cotton. And we see May and Zed under that clearly having fucked. May suddenly has a stirring for Zed. So. But who appears? None other than Consuela. Who describes the incident as bestiality, 
absolutely fucked. They think so lowly of Zed that it's like, this is, you're fucking an animal. To be fair, if we were talking about timelines long enough to consider speciation, that's exactly what it would be. Like, if this were a separate species of human, it's not. But, moving on. You're telling me a new breed of human breed... New species of human-like creatures cannot spawn in 200 years? I'm telling you that. And, by the way, this... I don't know what the popular understanding of evolutionary theory was in the 70s, but I feel like this might have been slightly more credible then than it is now. I feel like there would be more buy-in for that concept. Today, we look at it and we're like, 200 years? Fuck off. So there's a confrontation between Zed and Consuelo primarily. Apparently, she uses psychic powers to blind him. Yep. And while he's still fumbling around, says, Our containment efforts have failed, and now we must become hunters and killers ourselves. Bit of a leap. Also, don't act like that's not what you wanted to do the entire time. Fuck off. Exactly. We also learn a little about the, like, history of the vortices, which is to say... The people who became immortal were like, we're going to be the keepers of knowledge. Fuck all you other people, you dumb shits. And guess who they were? The rich, the powerful, and the clever. This is why people want to cut your fucking heads off. Yeah, they were just like, oh, we're clearly the chosen to continue the lineage of humanity. Choke on my dong. (laughs) God, I hate this fucking movie. Fuck this movie. (laughs) (laughs) okay so yeah so we see all of that and so at this point they realize the only way to get out of this situation because consuela has raised an army well i say army a lynch mob it's a lynch mob to kill zed and they are going hog wild they are just destroying the vortex so the only thing that's left is to destroy the vortex first They're, like, lightly smacking at this plastic rack bubble that Zed is in. It's like, yeah, that's not going to kill him. So, yeah, if you really pay close attention, you'll hear background voices commenting that the bubble is indestructible. So it's meant to look really impressive when Sean Connery just punches straight through it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But it's not. (laughs) Holy fuck. So he gets this leaf from one of the, like, so I guess you could call her a priestess, almost. A rebel. Well, I mean, as it turns out, everybody in the Vortex kind of wants to die. Yes. So this priestess woman who like leads their meditations gives him a leaf that will restore his eyesight and make him vital and virile. And there strong. it is. <laughs> yeah. So he takes it and presumably stuffs it in his diaper and runs off to the apathetic colony. Because surely... Consuelo wouldn't set any buildings on fire when there are apathetics inside, right? Nope. Nah, she will she absolutely, absolutely do that. does that. But the apathetics are kind of like suddenly drawn to Zed. One of them slowly reaches up, touches him, brings their hand back, and there's a small droplet of sweat on their finger. By the way, this is the girl that he thinks about R-wording earlier. And lightly touches it with her tongue and boom. <gasps> they are... Awoken of sorts. She's back, baby! And you know what that means? It's time for a bisexual orgy. Holy fuck. Like, a lot of apathetics are licking this Zed sweat and becoming horny. (laughs) So fucking horny. 
And they're just like, they're passing it around. Like, do you remember the game with the credit card? The suck and blow game with the credit card? Fucking what? <laughs> okay, so maybe this was a bit before your time. But you had Spin the Bottle, Seven Minutes in Heaven, and you also had the credit card game. I don't know this one. Okay, so what you would do is you would put a credit card up to your mouth and you'd suck. So it would stick to your mouth. And then you would press somebody else's mouth against the other side of the card. And when they suck, you blow and you pass the credit card along in a circle until somebody fucks it up and they end up making out. They're basically doing this, but with no credit card. They're just straight up making out. And then it goes, I joked about a bisexual orgy. Nope, nope. I am 100% serious in this. (laughs) I was joking about it in the barn but not two scenes later we get it for real (laughs) yeah zed is quote-unquote captured by renegades and he's like bring me to friend and they were like shut up and then they do it (laughs) yeah but because the main immortals are still running around on their horses looking for zed they got to disguise him and so they do as a bride with the veil and everything there's a Norse mythology reference in here. Ah, yeah. I'm vaguely aware. Yeah, so they find Friend, and Friend's like, oh, hey, great, go find May. Could you please just get everybody in one place? Please, please, I'm begging you. So, finds May, and she's like, this is all going to shit. You're gonna receive all of our knowledge. First, she tries to convince people to reform the Vortex instead of destroy it, and then... With the very lightest of pushes, Zed's like, this place is against life and it must be destroyed. And she's like, sounds legit. And says, instead, I have my followers. We'll teach you everything we know if you inseminate us, all of us. We don't have time for this. We'll operate out of time. We'll touch teach you and you will give us your seed. This movie is fucking gross. So this sequence goes on for probably five minutes. Way too long. It's kind of trippy. I don't fully understand it. Okay, so there's one thing. I saw this the second time through with Eileen, and she mentioned something that I thought was worth bringing up here. The first scene where she's, like, kneeling beside him, and he's laying down, and you can see, like, data streams, like ones and zero data streams on her head, and she's just, like, does this interpretive dance thing and just, like, touches the side of his head, and that data stream projection moves down into his head i'm just like we did it can we please move along no we've got five more minutes of this including a lot of european philosophy some of which was in french some of which was in norwegian some of which was in german some singing other art stuff a lot of math and science stuff we'll move on he gets the fucking knowledge that humanity has and we okay i try to shield everybody from this to a certain extent But I am a sexual being, and I have indeed had sex before. This is not that. What the fuck they're doing here is not sex. It can't be sex. In no conceivable universe is this even a metaphorical stand-in for sex. Yeah, this is nothing. This movie is so bad. Anyway. Yeah, fortunately, we skip the actual insemination. So, they want to destroy the tabernacle because that will end the immortality. We find out that the reason it was made in the first place is because they had hoped to just, like, spend all their time learning, and then they realize that's boring as fuck. So then they tried to go into space, but that's another dead end. And so now they're just 
bored. They're just bored. Hey, guess who makes a comeback? It's Arthur Frame, baby! Didn't realize he could reconstitute that quickly, but okay. He is back, and he is cracking jokes while his plan is on the cusp of falling apart. He's also doing magic. He's also doing magic. And quoting T.S. Eliot. Completely relevant passages of T.S. Eliot. Yes. Anyway, he's like probing Zed to see what Zed knows, and then is not helpful and fucks off. <laughs> yeah, so, he, well, no, he is helpful in this regard only. He hands Zed a big crystal ball, and Zed asks him, like, what can you tell me? He chucks him the crystal and is like, what can you see in the crystal? Nothing. Nothing! Then I have nothing to tell you. And then fucks off. Cool. Fuck you, Arthur. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're in the storehouse that, like, Friend and Zed had worked in earlier. Yeah. Consuela finds him and is about to stab him. About to drive that big, long, hard rod directly into him. And then doesn't. Because the hunt is better than the kill. Ah! Oh, why is this movie so horny? I don't know. I'm going to jump ahead to the very end real quick. Sure. Zed and Consuela get together. And it made no fucking sense to me until the second rewatch and seeing this scene. I was like, yes. oh, that's where they like... Because again, sex and violence, right-wing shitlords think that feminists think that sex and violence are connected, which they think is stupid. So, you know, they're clowning on it here. Like, no, 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 no. You're just putting your sexual desire somewhere else. Zed basically is talking to Tabernacle and saying, I'm going to kill you. He's like, you, you would kill God? It's like, Zed did that when he found Arthur at the very fucking beginning. Yeah, but they do have a discussion. And like, the Tabernacle actually makes a pretty solid case that it is the God of the Vortices. Sure. But then he also notes that like, oh shit, this crystal that I'm holding in my hand, you are the Tabernacle. And then the Tabernacle is just like, Yes, you hold shit. You right. <laughs> Fuck. It's like you could be anywhere, but I choose to be here. Bunch of nonsense. He gets sucked into the crystal, and then we do this like funhouse weird art movie bullshit. Yeah. So there are a lot of like microorganisms floating around, but like grossly enlarged because they're gross. And we see like everybody that we've met so far. Again, interpretive dance, but in like cat suits so you can only see their heads very wild my favorite fucking character zed's revolver <laughs> fucking comes in clutch just like every scene that zed has a gun it's always gun way out in front he leads with his gun yeah like that's a character choice yeah and then we get the final sequence here which was clearly meant to be so impactful where you got the split mirror on one side is Zed in his exterminator mask, and on the other side is Zed as he is now, which is slightly more cleaned up and urbane. And there's a bullet hole in both. And then, I don't know, the tabernacle actually goes, you have destroyed us. You are alone here. Like, bitch, if you destroyed, why are you talking? Stupid. Gets out and he gets a bunch of, like, his friends, including friend, and some other followers Apparently there's like a time reversing thing where pots get unsmashed. I don't understand that. Yeah, apparently in murdering the tabernacle, he learned time magic? Fucking whatever. Based. <laughs> Listen, we are in like the last maybe 10 minutes, so let's go real quick. Yeah. My goodness. Bullshit. Yeah, so they go back to the renegade thing where they talk to the one of the founders and he's like, 
I can die now! And then he does. And then the head crashes in, there's exterminators in the head, and they kill fucking everybody. I mean, they kill everybody. There's also like a Jurassic Park life finds a way kind of idea of it's like, oh, you were created by nature to bring us down. You, in this case, being Zed with his mutant physicality. And in this case, as it turns out, as Arthur Frayne and friend are talking through like, ha ha ha, I'm bragging about my plan, which is obviously in its fruition, there's nothing you can do about it. So like, they're talking about like, our death wish was devious and deep and like did all this. And Zed's like, yeah, you realize the tabernacle told you to do that, right? Oh, I missed that part, but okay. Yeah, it's like, and I've looked into the face of the being that put the thought in your head. You are bred and led yourself. That's incredible. But the point is that Arthur being in charge of the outworlds with no oversight did like selective breeding. Yeah, to create a meat that could kill the tabernacle, which is what the tabernacle wanted. Cool. Yeah. The one priestess lady that you referred to kind of summons everyone to the, a common area, at which point says, we can die now. And then as brutals and exterminators are filing in, the immortals are running to them saying, please kill me next. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. What follows is seven minutes of murder. Yep. No need to go over it. Meanwhile, Zed and Consuela fuck off to some stonehead somewhere. Yep. And they get busy. Smash cut to Consuela giving birth, presumably nine months later. And then the kid flash growing up. Like we get flashes of him growing up and then fucking off to live his own life. And then they get old and die. And then their skeletons disappear. And what is left over at the end of it all? The gun. Roll credits. Roll credits. God damn it. Okay. I got one thing. So let me take this. Mine's going to take a minute. Yep. There's a very clear like class system in this movie in that there's the Eternals. There's the Eternals that suck, which is the Renegades and Apathetic. And then the Exterminators and then Brutals. And it's just like so fucking annoying. It makes me glad that the Eternals died. Yeah. Because they were like, we're going to set up the system that benefits us supremely and all you rest of the people can figure out the fuck yourself. The world was dying. We had to harden our hearts to the plight of the outside world. No, you didn't. Fuck you. Truly. All right. So, as I mentioned before, I'm about to get into some potentially distressing stuff. I am going to tell you the story of the death of humanity and the solar system and the universe. So, if that bothers you, skip ahead to... One hour, 13 minutes, and 43 seconds. And, you know, we'll catch you next time. Okay, so, we live in an explosion that is currently ongoing. We're an explosion that has learned to think about itself. Incredible. And we're actually not that far into it. So the, the universe is approximately 13.6 billion years old. So, so there were a couple of scientists who did some deep cosmological research and put together like five eras of the universe based on how we model the universe to evolve over time. So there are five phases, the primordial era, and that's the first 400,000 years where it was too hot and too thick to really do anything. There's the stelliferous era, which is where we are now, the degenerate era, the black hole era, and the dark era. So this movie talks a lot about eternity, and that's, they've been alive for 200 years. Let's take a look at what actual functional eternity actually means. So the first 400,000 years, there were no stars. The universe was 
opaque for most of that time because of something called Rayleigh scattering and complicated. So it cleared up and electrons paired up with protons and the occasional neutron. So we got hydrogen and helium was the major constituent element of the entire universe. And so they started to clump together and form stars 13.4 billion years ago. So that's passed on through today. So the first stars that ever formed in the universe, about 70% of them are red dwarfs. And red dwarfs are tiny and they are dim. You've never seen one with the naked eye. Like they're too dim to be seen with the naked eye. And there's one four light years away. They are extremely long-lived. So I want to talk about the 30% of stars that the sun and most of the stars that we, all the stars that we can see fall into. So the way it works is hydrogen fuses into helium. And once all that hydrogen is fused into helium, the pressure of all that collapses down and you start fusing helium into carbon, carbon into oxygen, oxygen into neon, neon into magnesium, magnesium into silicon, and then silicon fuses into iron. Iron atoms are so tightly bound up that you can fuse them, but when you do, it actually absorbs energy instead of emits it. Iron is star poison. So it takes about two or three weeks once the first atoms of iron start to form in a star's core for it to kill the star. And that will happen to about 30% of stars, including our sun, eventually. They will burn out. They will die. This will take a couple billion years. Whereas red dwarfs, because they are less massive, they're able to circulate their hydrogen and helium more effectively, so they burn for a lot longer. One to 10 trillion years is how long red dwarfs are supposed to last. In about 3 billion years, there will no longer be enough gas to form new stars in the universe. And so the stars that we have there is all we're ever going to have ever again. And so in about 10 trillion years, when the last red dwarf burns out, life will become as we understand it today, functionally impossible. However, there is potential to carry on even then because supermassive black holes, like the one at the center of our galaxy, you can sort of create heat energy by throwing things into them. So what'll happen, like you need a massive kind of like infrastructure, but you can bring one of those dead star cores and push it into the gravitational influence of a black hole, and it will tear that thing apart, and that friction heating will provide energy for another 10 to the 92 years. So that's 10 followed by 92 zeros. It's a lot of years. However, black holes also evaporate very simply. So simply, it's actually a little bit wrong. Empty space is formed up uh, virtual particles that pop into existence and annihilate each other. But sometimes if this happens along the black hole's event horizon, one will fuck off into the black hole. The other will take a little energy as momentum from the black hole and screw off into the universe, becoming real. And that's called Hawking radiation. Oh, I was going to ask if that's a neutrino. No, that's Hawking radiation. This is a simplification that is so simplified, it's actually wrong. And I'll put some links in the description. If you're interested, you can deep dive the death of the universe. But over time, that mass and energy radiates away and you're not able to use that for the purposes of gathering energy. So in 10 to the 92 years, when supermassive black holes die, all you'll have is the energy you have stored up. Everything will be dark and cold and dead. Now, there's absolutely no way that humanity survives that long. It would be bonkers to survive that long. But at that point, 
life will become impossible in the universe. So that's what eternity looks like. Basically, from that point on, that dark, cold, with absolutely nothing in it except a few photons and subatomic particles that barely count, that's what eternity is. These assholes have only been alive for 200 years. And, you know, okay, I've met a couple of people who've made it to 100 and they're sick of the bullshit. I get that. But they keep talking about eternity. Like, one of the things in the storeroom at the end when May is like saying, oh, we can reform the vortex given enough time. And the friend says, time? Is eternity not enough for you? I'm like, fuck off, man. That is not what eternity means. That said, in the face of eternity, does our humanity mean anything? Because the way I see it, humanity is more or less our shared struggle against our own mortality. Everything that we do, all of the relationships that we make, everything that we as a civilization build, everything that we achieve, every interaction that we have is a fight against the inevitability of our own deaths. If you remove that, what is left? So it makes sense that that the immortals are fucking assholes in summation. I'm reminded of, forgive me, I'm going to reference Fight Club. Go for it. But there's a line that on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everything becomes zero. Yep, yep. And, well, 200-something years is a long time for a human to live, but even they will die. Yes. (laughs) One way or another. Be it when the sun swells after it burns through all of its hydrogen and consumes the Earth, or be it in 10 to the 92 years when everything freezes to death because there is no more energy universe. Now, Sophia, Hmm? you mentioned a lot in our review section that there's a lot of right-wing viewpoints in this. Do you want to expound on that here? Or have you said plenty? Uh, I mean, look, what we're seeing, much like today, when you have a rise of a left-wing movement, you will get the rise of a right-wing movement to counter it. Now, granted, the right-wing movement has always been there, and the right-wing movement kind of is reactionary to the rising influence of the left. But it is given space to become more prominent in society. And as I said, this was 1974. Hippies were a thing, and people were about sick of their shit. This was before they all put on business suits and became jaded businessmen, music producers and the like, or sorry, record executives and the like. But yeah, so so a lot of this movie is based off a fundamental misunderstanding of 70s leftist cultural ideas. So hippies were primarily anti-war, and a lot of them dabbled in communism as an alternative to what is a fundamental truth about war and America. And that is that America is fundamentally three defense contractors in a trench coat. So war is incentivized by our system of capitalism. If you are truly anti-war, then exploring systems outside of capitalism is anti-war praxis. Obviously, in the 70s, being a communist was fraught, and mainstream society didn't have a whole lot of time for it, because very right-wing, the 70s, as it turns out but also feminism. So this was about the time second wave feminism was becoming a really big deal. And second wave feminism was defined largely, second wave radical feminism specifically, was defined largely by something that is colloquially called the porn wars. 
So second wave feminism is defined as a movement regarding the liberation of women from simple household servitude as a wife. This is the age in which you know it became acceptable for women to have jobs outside the home, where women got the right to have their own bank account and have their own money outside of their husband's control. And this had a lot of effects on domestic violence. And the split between the mainstream and the radical feminist movement of this era came down to views on pornography and whether sex work and pornographic sex work specifically was degrading or empowering. And there was also a lot of trans-exclusionary radical feminism that came out of the 70s, something that people I have recently interacted with on Quora would disagree with, but refuse to back up that point. Anyway, yeah, that is a subtweet. So yeah, there are a lot of right-wing reactionary ideas that fundamentally misunderstand what being a leftist means in this movie. It's also deeply misogynistic. And I want to shout out, so I watched this movie not only with Eileen, but with a mutual friend of ours. And watching it with them gave me a different perspective on this movie. This was a movie that I've in the past categorized as stupid bullshit that I love. But honestly, what I love is clowning on this movie and talking about human morality in the face of eternity more than I like this movie. This movie fucking sucks. I hate this movie. So that that's really all I have to say. That being said, it is a bad movie. But my initial reaction upon seeing it was like, oh, this is a movie that wants to say something. It tries so hard to be high art. It really does. Which really, having spent a lot of time now in a world where the MCU exists, where everything is spoon-fed to you in terms of meaning and everything is surface level, the effort put into this movie gives it a certain charm. As I told Sophia, (laughs) they put their whole Zardusi into making this movie. They put their whole Zardusi into this movie. (laughs) Oh my god, that that fucking got me. <laughs> yeah, so it may not be a good end product objectively. Well, objective I can't get into that. The objectivity of art. It may not be a good movie in a lot of ways. It is largely considered a bad movie. But it tries to say something. And in some places it does say something. In some places it says You know, I've got this idea about this thing. Uh, Can you take it from there? All right. Let's get into our ratings. Holy shit. On a scale of 1 to 10 of enjoyability, a very standard scale, where are you putting this? The costume design is ridiculous. The cinematography is baffling. The acting is fine. The acting is fine. The script writers are clearly on a very special kind of cocaine that we lowly people do not have access to. There is nothing in this movie outside of trying to extract a deeper meaning and clowning on it that I enjoy. So unironically, I have to give it, I have to give it a two. Yeah, I'll meet you there. Two, it sounds great. It tried, an attempt was made, and that's where those two points came from. It tried so hard. And got so far. Anyway, uh, Obscurity. With one being a Best Picture nominee, ten being a literal student film. So this movie is kind of a cult classic. Again, 
not for the merits of the movie, it has none, but mostly because Sean Connery in a red diaper and bandolier. The visual spectacle. It is quite a spectacle visually. I would say probably because this is a movie that, you know, has gotten this kind of like internet resurgence because it's fucking buck wild. I would say probably a six. I was going to go six and a half. So, yeah. I will say I found this movie on archive.org, the internet (laughs) archive. So if you want to see it for free, it is out there in a very legal way. There you go. I don't think anybody is willing to put this one on their roster of, you know, no, nobody's going to court over Zardoz. No. As we wrap up our episode, we end, of course, with our pop culture pop out a piece of pop culture we have been interested in as of late and just want to talk about for a little bit. Sophia, why don't you start us off? So I'm a big fan of Dances with Wolves. I mean, it's a problematic movie, as most movies are in some way or another, but I like it. That said, Dances with Wolves for Furries, a.k.a. Avatar, has a sequel that is going to drop on December 16th, Avatar The Way of Water. And it looks to be just as silly as the last, but the early reviews are, at the very least, very positive about the visuals. And I think that's probably the exciting part of this I can't imagine that I will have much to say about the narrative. But yeah, I'm still going to see it because it's my job. But also, I'll cop to kind of having liked Avatar. Film Twitter baffles me about Avatar because for a full decade, we were like, Avatar sucked shit. And then in the last like two years, Film Twitter was like, um, actually, this movie was good. And like, yes, it made a shit ton of money. That does not mean it's good. Okay. That being said, that being said, Avatar works in the same way a video game does as a tech demo. The story and the characters in Avatar are nothing in my opinion. However, the technology was incredible and was necessary for a bunch of advancements that came later. A lot of things were built off of what was created for the making of Avatar. You would not have an MCU, or at least it would be very, very different were not for Avatar. Are you telling me if I Terminator James Cameron, I could have avoided a bunch of bullshit? Like 15 years worth of easy movies. And that's my objection to the MCU, is that they're easy. No risks. But Avatar was a tech demo of a movie, in my opinion. I still thought it was fun because it was visually stunning and also dances with wolves which again is a movie that i kind of enjoy being a tech demo is not bad it's just yeah a different expectation i can't imagine you remember this you were very young when it happened but the original playstation came with a demo disc that had like mini game snippets and it was basically it was there to go like yo look what our system can do i have a ps5 i got it this year and there's a game called like astrobot rescue mission or maybe that's the vr one that was like the tech demo for psvr Hmm. but yeah it's not that much of a game it's fun it's really fun and it shows off what the ps5 can do but it's just meant to show off the tech yeah in and of itself is not meant to blow you away yeah it is it's fine so kyle what do you have for us last week i finished an audiobook called bullshit jobs 
which was this anthropologist examining why bullshit jobs exist. And he gets very specific about what is a bullshit job. And it's more or less things that the person doing it can't really justify why they're doing it. Yeah. And it's like, it's soul sucking in a certain way. Yeah. So like, I feel like there is a point, especially if you're doing retail or food service where you're like, God, I would love a job that means fucking nothing, but I still walk away with a paycheck until you get one of those jobs. Yes. Now this guy is not quite willing to take aside along political lines of explaining this. He says that each side thinks that you would only find bullshit in the public or private sector, depending on which side you're on. And that's not true. You find bullshit jobs in both public and private. However, in finishing the book, it does come down to a lot of problems with capitalism and also the Protestant work ethic. Yep. Which is very funny. <laughs> this book was written by David Graeber. Oh, I didn't realize he passed. Yeah, he passed a while ago, like a, a year or two ago. But yeah, so essentially, yeah, I've not gotten all the way through the book. I have so much other chip on my plate, but it is a useful typology and it is extremely useful for criticizing capitalism because these bullshit jobs are a, a symptom of late capitalism. It comes from having to find your fucking idiot kid a job in your company. The concept of a sinecure, but then it kind of like disperses and promulgates. And next thing you know, you have people whose only job is to open a spreadsheet of like staff birthdays. It's a long book and listening to it on audiobook, I don't think I fully absorbed everything because I'm listening while I'm driving in part or while I'm at my job, which I don't think my job's bullshit. I don't always see the value in it, but I don't think it's bullshit in the same way. My job has characteristics of bullshit, but it is absolutely not a bullshit job. Oh, that is a point they make is that a lot of jobs now have aspects of bullshit, such as teaching, not in and of itself a bullshit job, but you have to do administrative work, which is kind of obnoxious. Yeah. Anyway, fun book. I recommend it. And as a side note, I got it through my local library. Check out your local library. Ooh, yes, do indeed. Sophia, where can people find you online? <sighs> well, because of my not bullshit job, I'm having to slim Pickens Twitter straight into the ground. So I'll be there to see the entire thing explode. That's at Hamilcarinina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. -I -E I'm letting the rancid vibes ride at this point, because who the fuck cares? I'm a mastodon. I said I wouldn't. I swore I wouldn't. I lied. They got her. <laughs> they got me. Yeah, so my Mastodon instance is mostly, mostly horny trans girls. So, like, unless you're really into that, I wouldn't recommend my instance to you. But if you are, it's 8point. So, yeah, you can find us at 8point.app. And I am... What did I put my fucking handle as? You know, it'll be in your link tree. How about yeah. that? Zippy, a city witch. <laughs> yeah. I'm... Still on fucking Quora, still having fights with dumb people on Quora. Sophia Elena Mesa Treaked. I am on Medium at the same, still working on that Hellraiser piece. The rest of the year is is really, really, really tight for me, so I'm not probably not going to be able to get it done before the first of the year, which is a little late to the game, honestly, because I think it came out in, what, July, June, September, October. It came out for Halloween. Fuck off. God damn it, Sophia. <laughs>
bad at this. Yeah, yeah. Don't find me on Facebook. Kyle, where can people find you? I am on Twitter, at Kyle the Gills. I am on Tumblr, Letterboxd, and Twitch under Hebrew Hammer. We also have a Twitter account, at Off the Film Path, where eh, we tweet about the movie sometimes, for as long as Twitter will be around. And I don't know what the plan is after Twitter shits. I'm looking at Hive. I'm looking at Skywriting. Yeah. Anyway, there is a link at the bottom of our show notes where you can leave a voice message that we can put in an upcoming episode if you'd like, whether to talk about a pop culture pop out of your own or discuss the movies that we talk about. But in order to get in on the next one, Sophia, what are we watching? We're watching Sex Drive, baby. Hell yeah. And next episode is going to be a very special episode because Sophia and I will be in the same location. At the same time. Ooh. That's going to be an editing nightmare, and I'm sorry for it, Kyle. <laughs> It'll be fine. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and Spotify, and tell your friends about this beautiful, masterful, complain fest. Yeah. So what you can do is you can create a Roko's Basilisk out of a quartz crystal, bonkers, and have it basically respond to every query you make with the name of the podcast. Build an Alexa app that you go, Alexa, play me a podcast, and it only plays our podcast. Only our podcast and Despacito. That's it. There's the only two pieces of media it'll play. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye.